and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed therapist with over 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and I am sick of the titty nopes I keep finding all over my kitchen. What on earth are those? Titty nopes are like little catches of like um, crumbs or, you know, when someone puts in the milk container back in the fridge and there's just like a drop in there. That's a titty nope. Oh. And it's a titty no-no nope in my kitchen. That makes perfect sense. Those are very annoying. So annoying. Okay. Well, welcome to Addicted to Murder, Harvey Kerrigan Part 3. Yes, indeed. And before we get started, uh, we do just want to give a nice shout out to all of our listeners and all of our followers. We really appreciate you so much. Um, And if you haven't had a chance yet to check us out on social media, you can find us at Addicted to M Podcast on Instagram at Addicted to Murder Podcast on Facebook, or you can reach out to us by email at Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. And I just want to say that we have had a couple of people reach out via Instagram, direct message, um, regarding cases that they wanted us to cover, and some of them I had never heard of. Some of them are from other countries, and that's awesome because I probably never would have, you know, discovered them. So, we love hearing from you guys. So if there's someone you want to hear about, I mean, obviously we will get to the big guys eventually, but if there's someone we might not know of, we love learning about new people too. I mean, half the people we've done so far have been kind of, who are they? It ended up being really interesting cases. Exactly. So um, now it's time for our question segment. And I have the question today. And Courtney, it just turned spring. Right on the 21st was the equinox, I believe. So what is your favorite thing about spring? I think my favorite thing about spring is seeing all the little baby animals. Oh, that The chicks and stuff. Yeah, all the chicks yeah. and, you know, the ducklings and, you know. There's nothing cuter than a duckling. Right? Their little feet and their little bill. Mm-hmm. And we've got some deer in the, like, the woods behind our house. So sometimes we get to see little fawns mm. and... It's just the best. Yeah. I love the smell of the cherry blossoms. I know it's spring when I smell that when I go outside. They smell so good. They do smell so good. And also they make me sneeze. They, yeah, if there's too much, which sometimes there is, but oh my gosh, it's like one of nature's like greatest gifts. And they're beautiful they to look beautiful. at too. Yes. And then they yield cherries. And those which are delicious. Are amazing. So yeah. All right. Good question segment. Very good. All right. So episode three of Harvey, this episode will have graphic depictions of um, brutal crimes. So just be forewarned. We don't usually get, you know, very depictive, but today we will. So May 23rd, 1972, a 15-year-old named Kathy Sue Miller, um, this was in Seattle. Uh, This is where Harvey is at the time, was looking in the one ads for a part-time job. She found an ad for a gas station attendant. Um, She was actually looking for jobs also for her boyfriend, and she thought that this might be a good job for him. So she called the next morning, and the guy who answered the phone, who I'm assuming is Harvey, um, said that boys or girls could apply. So then she was super excited because then she wanted to apply for it. So she had a brief telephone interview and planned to meet the owner after school that day. He'd pick her up and take her to the station to do the paperwork. Kathy's mom um, told her, absolutely, no, do not do this. This sounds like a terrible idea. Do not accept a ride from a stranger. You can go down to the gas station some other time um, and made Kathy promise not to go. 
So the owner of the gas station was Harvey Kerrigan. And Kathy Miller was never seen again after school, alive. So She did not listen to her mom. No, she did not. And people need to listen to their mothers more. Good mothers, anyways. Always. Yeah. Kathy's mother reported her daughter missing and gave the police the information of the WAN ad. The police interviewed Harvey, who seemed very anxious. He was, like, sweating and, like, kind of shaking and, you know, stuttering a little bit. The police were able to determine that Harvey hired a lot of women at the gas station, but that they never, for some reason, stayed around very long. One of his former employees spoke to the police and told her about her experience. She had only worked there for seven days. Um, Harvey hired her after she answered a WAN ad. He didn't care that she had no experience, you know, handling money or anything like that. He only cared that she was young and had no boyfriend. She said he touched her inappropriately and offered her $20 if he could, quote, make love to her. She was working that day that Kathy disappeared, and she was able to verify that Harvey had left the station that afternoon. Harvey told the police that he was going to meet Kathy, but she never showed up to the spot. So... Sometime later, Kathy's body was discovered by two young boys riding bikes on the Tuolup Indian Reservation near Everett, Washington. They smelled her first, then found a figure wrapped in black plastic. She was positively identified on June 4th by dental records. The autopsy revealed she had been bludgeoned, most likely with a hammer. The police at this point were only able to get a search warrant for Harvey's automobile, and there was no physical evidence tying him to the crime. Nothing concrete was found in the vehicle, and so the Seattle police were unable to arrest him for Kathy's murder, nor the murder of another victim, Laura Brock, who they were um, pretty sure that he had also killed. So Harvey was uh, being questioned by the police all the time. He was sh- they were showing up at his place of business, his home, um, not leaving him alone, and he was sick of it, so he left Seattle and he headed back to Minnesota after this. Um, do you have any thoughts, Courtney? Um, do you think, well, we, you said last week that Harvey wasn't a psychopath, but can you just go uh, into that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I don't believe that Harvey's a psychopath, um, but he does have antisocial personality disorder. You know, he is impulsive and seems to be kind of driven by sexual desire. So I would guess that maybe Harvey didn't intend to murder Kathy, you know, when he agreed to interview her, although he would have definitely tried to have sex with her. And assuming she rejected him, he would become overcome with rage and acting just on that impulse right then and there. And, you know, this is not the first time that he has killed, obviously. Um, But it may have reminded him of how powerful he felt afterwards. And, you know, when it comes to women and Harvey's childhood and being abused and controlled by multiple different women, that feeling of having power over one would probably be extremely satisfying for him. So in June of 73 um, is when he left Seattle, thereabouts. He decides to go through California, taking a weird path to get to to Minnesota. Um, Harvey was a reckless driver throughout all of his time when he was outside of prison walls. Um, He racked up a lot of tickets, and eventually his license was suspended. In California, he also received a speeding ticket that placed him there on the 20th of June in 1973. And around that time that Harvey was in California, 11 women were found in various states of death. Some were strangled, some were raped, some were bludgeoned. Um, These women could never be tied to Harvey, 
However, it's strongly thought by homicide detectives that he may be responsible for at least some of their deaths while he was meandering through the golden state of California. By June 28th, Harvey was back in Minnesota, and he wasted no time. Mary Townsend was waiting for a bus when she was struck from behind and rendered unconscious. So again, this is just like in the middle of a public place. She's at a bus stop. When she came to, she was in a pickup truck driven by a huge man, who of course ends up being Harvey. He demanded that she touch him, and she freaked out, obviously. She tried to open the door, and Harvey grabbed her hair to stop her from escaping, but she got away because she was wearing a wig. She was able to get out of the moving vehicle and run away. That She was literally saved by a hair. She was. So, so lucky. She was so lucky, yeah. Makes me want to wear wigs, you know, just to escape something like this. That's a silly reason, but... I don't have, you know, great hair, so sometimes a wig sounds fun. Yeah, it could be any color you want. I know, right? Then I wouldn't have to worry about straightening it and all that. Okay, I digress. September 9th, 1973, Harvey picks up a hitchhiker named Jerry Billings. She was only 13 years old, so like 7th, 8th grader, right? Mm -hmm. Harvey told... Why was she hitchhiking? But whatever. It was the 70s. It was the 70s. Harvey told Jerry his name was Paul. And remember his imaginary name, or imaginary friend's name was Paul. Harvey forced her to give him oral sex while he penetrated her with his hammer, using it like a sex organ. While she was struggling, he hit her on the head with his hammer. He then threw her out of the car on her stomach and attempted to enter her anally. He was unable to complete the task, but Jerry was still in excruciating pain, and she didn't report this. Um, He let her go, but she didn't report this, not for a long time. Courtney, what psychological things happen to a girl so young when this type of violence happens? And why don't they report the incident incident sometimes? Also, do you have anything to say regarding Harvey's penchant for young girls? And um, is he a sadist? Lots of questions. Yeah, so starting um, at the beginning, you know, sexual assault is an incredibly painful and personal and unfortunately often shameful you know, experience for victims. There's there's just no greater boundary violation than being sexually assaulted. Um, and so during an attack like this, you know, the body goes into what we call like fight, flight, or freeze, um, where the nervous system is sort of all activated to do whatever it takes to, to help the victims survive what's happening to them. Um, which in the moment can sometimes include things like blocking some of the pain they're experiencing um, or even like blocking certain like memories from being made in that moment. Um, But then once it's over, it's really common to experience post-traumatic stress disorder um, where, you know, all of that pain and suffering and the memory of what happened is sort of triggered when it's not supposed to be. So the body goes into fight or flight or freeze mode based on a trigger um, that could be something as small as a smell, a word, a sound, um, and then suddenly you're reliving this horrible event that happened to you. Um, So I imagine at least some of that um, is what happened to Jerry. And then as for why she didn't report or girls don't report, I think we have to look back at that time frame of this crime again. You know, it was the early 1970s. 
and law enforcement was not known for being particularly empathetic or kind to rape victims. You know, more often there was victim blaming. So pointing out things like what she was wearing, um, the fact that she was hitchhiking and how that put herself in a dangerous position. Um, So my guess would be that she didn't report it right away because she didn't think either it would be taken seriously or that anyone would believe her. Well, maybe she also thought she might get in trouble by her parents because I'm sure she was not in her right mind afterwards and... Right, and why is a 13-year-old hitchhiking? Right. So So there could have been all sorts of reasons. Okay. Exactly. And then, you know, as for for Harvey in the situation Mm -hmm. and his preference for teenage girls, while it's disgusting and inappropriate, it's not technically a mental disorder um, because teens do have secondary sexual characteristics like adults. Um, like breasts and body hair and things like that, attraction to a teen is not considered pedophilia because that requires that the person be pre- like prepubescent. Okay. Um, so gross, but not a crime. Or not a, a mental disorder, I, I mean. Disorder. Yep. Yes, a crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they act on it, for sure. Yes. Um, and then as for you know sadism, I think it is possible, as he clearly enjoys the physical force involved in rape, Anne has started developing a pattern of using a hammer as a sexual tool, as well as a weapon to inflict pain upon his victims. And just to kind of review, um, sadism is defined as the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification from inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on others. By this time, Harvey's second wife, Alice, had left Harvey, and he had moved on to Eileen Hunley. Eileen was in a religious group. I can't remember what it was called. Um, I think it was called The Way, if I remember right in the book. Um, But it was in Minnesota, and Harvey joined that group. Remember, he did, you know, have that religious upbringing somewhat. Um, Depending on different sources, some say Eileen breaks things off with Harvey, and then Harvey said she was having sexual relations with other men, and so he broke it off with her. Either way, she goes missing in August of 1974, and her body was found about five weeks later. Her skull had been bludgeoned, and she had been raped with a tree branch. I don't know if the tree branch is because um, maybe he didn't have his hammer, or if it was because she was someone important to Harvey, and it was... Do you have any thoughts on that, or do you think it was just maybe he just didn't have a hammer, and that was how he chose to do it? My guess is that he didn't have a hammer, and it was an item of convenience. Okay. So, um, in September of 74... September 8th, 1974, two 16-year-old girls by the names of June Lynch and Lisa King were hitchhiking when a man in a pickup rolled up and asked if they'd like to make $25. He explained that his son's truck had broken down and he needed someone to drive it to the shop. They were sold on the idea. That was a lot of money back then. Harvey drove them to a wooded area, stopped the truck, got out, removed a hammer, a gas can, and a screwdriver. He told Lisa to stay in the car and directed June to accompany him. So June only had time to scream before Harvey hit her on the head with a hammer. Um, The scream prompted Lisa to jump out of the car, and she found her friend bleeding, and Harvey had disappeared. Lisa found an old farmhouse and was able to call the police. June was transferred to the hospital, where it was discovered she had been hit seven times with a hammer. Luckily, she'd recover. I wonder what he was going to do with that screwdriver and gasoline. I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) 
Courtney, there was no evidence that June had been sexually assaulted. What do you think was, uh, or what do you think Harvey was trying to accomplish with just a bludgeoning? You know, I believe Harvey had full intentions of sexually assaulting June, but was just interrupted um, by Lisa before he had a chance to. You know, hitting her with the hammer was probably a method of just subduing and controlling her so she wouldn't be able to fight back or get away while he assaulted her. And, you know, it's it's unclear if Lisa left June's body in the woods while she went to get help. Um, but if she did, it's possible that Harvey came back and administered additional blows to kind of, like, make sure she was dead. So, like, maybe he only hit her, like, one or two times at first mm-hmm. um, and then came back to kind of, like, finish the job. So I think his plan was he was supposed to hit her before she screamed. She screamed, so it alerted Lisa, and he probably was like, I can't handle two women, at least that know what's happening. So he ran off. Something like that, That's and like I, hid in the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, September 17th, 1974, a nursing student by the name of Gwen Burton had a car that wouldn't start. Harvey rolled up in his caprice. He had more than one car and offered her to help. He said he could fix her car, but he would need to get tools from his place. She explained she couldn't pay him, and he said that was fine. Just wanted to help. Gwen was unsure, um, but Harvey eventually like half pushed her into his car. Harvey then drove for a while and ended, up, and ended up on some back roads. He demanded that she get closer to him and even offered her $30 to sleep with him. She said no, and this enraged Harvey. He, first, he forced her head into his lap and made her perform oral sex for what seemed like a very long time, and he could not be satisfied. He then ripped off her clothes and strangled her until she passed out. She awoke three times, and he continued to choke her until she passed out each time. The final time she came to, she found herself on a blanket where he again forced her to perform oral sex on him. He then put his claw hammer uh, handle into her vagina with such force that she felt something break inside of her. He told her, quote, I'd like to see you suffer. He then punched her in the stomach twice before he said, quote, now I'm going to kill you, you whore. He then smashed his hammer on her head. She awoke some time later, thinking it would be easier for her to just die, but somehow she mustered up the strength um, when she thought about her family, and it took her a very long time to crawl out of the six-foot ditch, Uh, but she eventually was able to crawl out and onto the road, and then it took a long time for someone to even notice her, but eventually she was rescued by a man on a tractor. She was rushed to the hospital where she was in critical condition. Her brain had bits of her skull embedded in it. Um, she lived, but with partial paralysis and for some, for some time, and she was really bad with ba- balance and verbal skills. She had to drop out of nursing school, and she could no longer play the sports that she loved. She had been a virgin at this time. Um, after she recovered more, she was able to you know, pretty much regain most of her faculties, but she did say when she'd get tired, she would like, be unable to speak um, clear sentences. So... Courtney, we don't usually get this graphic, but for Harvey, I think it's an important detail. What do you think? Do you feel he's extremely violent, or do you think the other killers we have studied are just as violent, but their victims did not live to tell the details? Harvey wasn't very good at making sure his victims were dead. Right, right. Um, And so Harvey's violence stands out, I think, for, you know, two reasons. One being that, at least on one occasion, he literally beat a woman to death using only his fists and that is just terrifying mm-hmm. right that takes a lot of strength it does and rage right and kind of the second thing is he definitely you know went sort of overkill on all of his victims 
um, or at least it would seem that way. It's a shock that so many survived, right. given how many times he would hit them with that hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so take that and add in his large size, right? He's six foot two, he's 270 pounds, he's super strong. Yeah, it's like all muscle, it's like prison muscle. Exactly. And so add that sort of gruff demeanor and, and his look, which was, if we're just going to be honest, he wasn't the most attractive man on earth. You know, it definitely like plays into this image of him as being this kind of monster who can just like rip you apart, basically. Well, remember in the beginning, he said that you would not ignore him, even if it meant that you hated him. Right, exactly. Um, And at the same time, you know, something to remember, right, is Ted Bundy also did some of these things. He Mm -hmm. bludgeoned some of his victims. He used objects to sexually assault them. Um, He beheaded some of them, um, which are all incredibly violent things to do as well. But kind of like you suggested, you know, Bundy made sure all of his victims were dead. Mm -hmm. Um, So there weren't any survivors to tell their stories. And when people look at Ted, right, he's, you know, normal looking, he's charming, he's attractive. And so it's much harder to imagine him doing these monstrous things. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, like, yes, Harvey was really violent. On the other hand, he wasn't really that much more violent than yeah. other killers that we've talked about. Right. It, it, you're, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. We just had more victims left alive. Um, and, you know, like with Gary Ridgway, he would strangle them. So there wasn't, like, this mashed-up face or, you know. Right, yeah. And, I mean, uh, Jerry Brudos, right, one of his victims, punching in the face until, you know, mm-hmm. she was knocked out. Yep. So, Okay. Well, um, the next day after the nursing student um, happened, Harvey again picks up two hitchhikers by the name of Sally Voissois and Diane Flynn. Harvey told them the same story as the other two girls. Luckily for them, Harvey had to stop for gas and they were able to escape. Um, They reported the incident to the police because Harvey had started to become violent with them in the car and he struck one of the girls in the face while they were driving. September 20th, 1974, Kathy Schultz, who was 18, left for school and was never seen alive again. The next day, her body was found by pheasant hunters. Her face was not visible as her head had been beaten in by several hammer blows. Four days after that, um, Harvey was finally pulled over and arrested. Police had been looking for a car that matched the description of the surviving women. They found it parked outside of a cafe, and they found Harvey as he was walking down an alley. When police searched his vehicle, they found several maps for the states of Oregon, Washington, California, Montana, Idaho, Wisconsin, and Kansas. Now, that's not necessarily weird in itself, but on these maps were 181 circles of various locations. And in Seattle, they did find a map of Minnesota with many circles. At the time, they thought they, they, being the police, thought they were just areas of job searches, but it was now looking like it may be something much more sinister. The police were able to determine that some of the circles matched the dump sites of bodies that were found, and some of the circles matched places where the victims were last seen alive. It was impossible to dig every place up, as the coordinates were not exact, um, and that was a lot of area to even suppose um, to dig for. Um, it is suspected that Harvey was responsible for killing many, 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 many more women that we know of. 
Courtney, if these circles are indeed indicators of dump sites or pickup sites, do you think these maps may be Harvey's trophies? Uh, what do you think that the red circles indicate? So it's, it's still pretty unclear to me kind of the true purpose of the circles. They very well could be trophies or, you know, ways that he kept track of his kills. Um, but he also wasn't the type to be, like, planful about his crimes in advance. And, you know, the majority of the victims that we know about, anyway, were chosen because of opportunity and then were sort of unceremoniously dumped on the road right next to where the assaults took place or, like, just into the ditch next to it or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, so... To me, it doesn't totally fit with Harvey's profile for him to keep like a detailed map. Um, but he was also a pretty intelligent guy outside of kind of these crimes. And so maybe he was able, after the fact, to think about being tracked and, you know, didn't want to hit the same place twice. Um, or maybe the circles are random and meaningless and meant to just send police on a wild goose chase. So in February 1975, Harvey's first trial began in the case of Gwen Burton, the nurse that he had left for dead. Defense attorneys decided they couldn't argue not guilty, um, you know, outright, as the victim was still alive and could attest to what Harvey had done and intended to do to her. They decided to use not guilty by reason of insanity as their, as their defense. So we've talked about this before. To be found not guilty by insanity, the jury has to decide that the defendant did not know the difference between right and wrong while committing the act. We know that Kerrigan attempted to cover up his crimes after he committed them, um, doing things such as destroying evidence or, you know, he was doing these, a lot of, uh, some of these um, rapes in like wooded, secluded areas. The defense decided to be blunt with what Harvey did. But they also expressed that Harvey had been so sexually traumatized as a child that he developed schizophrenia and that this caused him to believe that his divine mission was to kill all women as he hated all women and all women were harlots. Courtney, how does schizophrenia come about in a person? Can it be brought on by abuse or is it something that is different in the brain that a person is just born with? Please tell us anything relevant about this diagnosis to this, that's a, to this particular case. Yeah, so just a little bit about schizophrenia kind of up front. So schizophrenia is a psychotic disorder um, that typically emerges in a person um, when they're in their kind of late teens to late 20s, um, sort of in that decade. Although it can um, occur later, but very, very rarely, like after the age of 40. Um, so to meet criteria for schizophrenia, a person has to have at least two of the following symptoms. Um, so one would be hallucinations, whether that's seeing things or hearing voices that no one else can see or hear, um, delusional beliefs. So believing things that just aren't true or are impossible, including types of like paranoia, mm -hmm. um, having disorganized thinking and behavior. So like they might do odd things. They might, um, be really confusing to talk to, like their sentences don't connect together and they're sort of all over the place. Um, and then either like catatonia, so totally checked out that kind of Im image of someone just sitting there staring mm -hmm. at the wall for mm -hmm. days at a time, mm -hmm. um, or having sort of a decrease, a decreased emotional affect. So just kind of seeming like not really to have emotions. Emotions are just sort of like really subdued and flat. Um, so... One of those symptoms has to be hallucinations or delusions. 
And um, these symptoms must cause significant impairment in the ability of the person to function, whether that's at work or in relationships or completing daily tasks. And these symptoms have to be present for at least six months. Um, so kind of knowing that, right, it's really hard to say whether Harvey ever had symptoms like that. Um, I know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, his, his reasoning for why he ended up killing. Um, but for all, as far as we can tell, like he kept a job, he had relationships with women, Mm -hmm. you know, he got dressed every day and showered and maybe not showered, who knows. (laughs) Um, but essentially it didn't seem to impact the rest of his life. Well, and you would think with all of his time in prison, it would have been discovered there. Exactly. It's not something that you could just turn on or turn off. Right. Um, And then in terms of causes, you know, with with most mental health conditions, you know, there's not like a very clear singular answer of like, this is the thing that makes this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, you know, seems at this point, based on what we know, to be sort of a mix between genetics, brain chemistry, and particularly the, like, overproduction of dopamine, mm-hmm. um, which is one of your neurotransmitters. Um, it can be related to, like, brain development um, and kind of life experiences all combined together. Um, and while personal trauma can at times sort of, like, add to the risk of developing schizophrenia if you're already predisposed to it or, like, maybe worsen some of the symptoms due to the increased stress load, um, it's it's not going to be the sole cause of someone developing schizophrenia. And so kind of based on these, like, factors, I don't think that Harvey had schizophrenia. Some of the kids that you work with um, are schizophrenic. Aren't they usually scared, at least until they know what's going on, when they hear these or see these, um, have these hallucinations, hallucinations? Or is it something that is not scary? Um, it can be scary or not. It depends. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes hallucinations that um, younger kids have, for example, can be sort of seen as like comfort or helpers. Oh, okay. Um, not often, but mm-hmm. it, it's possible. Um, so uh, another part of having a schizophrenia diagnosis is that often um, the people with the disease don't have sort of like any insight into it. Um, like they're not able to recognize that maybe like the voices aren't real or they're not able to recognize that the delusional beliefs aren't possible or that they are delusional. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that could be scary. I mean, if someone's telling you that you're hearing and seeing things that aren't there, I mean, and you know, they are, yeah, you're like, no, they're right there. They're in the corner. I see them. Right. Okay. Um, well, I read that his defense team Um, along with the prosecuting team, was uneasy with Harvey. He was big and he was scary. He made them nervous. And in the documentary we watched, um, one of the prosecutors was interviewed, and he said that when he met Harvey, it was in jail, and Harvey was doing one-arm pull-ups for nearly an hour. So he was big and he was strong and he was mean. And we post pictures on our Instagram and Facebook page, and he's just scary looking. He really is. You don't want to crop him across the sky like in a dark alley, or even in broad daylight. Stay away from him. So he, he scared everyone um, on both sides of the table. 
Harvey was eventually put on the stand, and you can find a transcript of his testimony in the annual book, The Wanag Killer, but I'll just outline the particulars. Basically, he admitted to most everything he was accused of. Um, and I'm just going to say that Harvey uses the word whore, so I am using the word whore, okay? His reason was that God told him to do these things. Harvey attested that when he was helping Gwen with her car, God told him that she was a whore and that God told him to kill her. When asked how Harvey felt when he found out that he hadn't succeeded in killer, killing her, he had this to say, quote, I was sorry I didn't kill her because I was supposed to. When asked why didn't Harvey make sure she wasn't dead, he said, quote, God didn't tell me to mutilate her. He just said to hit her on the head until she was dead. So I'm just taking that to mean that he was um, not going to you know, hit her in the face like he did with some of the other ones because he's saying God didn't tell her to do that, tell him to do that. He then went on to say God had also told him to kill the hitchhikers because God told him they were whores. He said it was okay that he had done this because God's law is above man's law. He was able to quote various verses of the Bible and he was certain that he would go to heaven regardless of all of the things he had done. The prosecution pointed out that Harvey had studied various mental illnesses during his time in prison. He had gotten excellent grades in his psychology courses, <clears throat> and the prosecution was trying to point out that, he, that Harvey was well aware of how to mimic a psychotic defense. Psychiatrists were now called to testify regarding Harvey's mental state. The defense team psychiatrist said he was innocent of the crimes because he was psychotic. This is what he had to say. Quote, he did not know that it was wrong. He was suffering from a defect of reason. I do feel that Mr. Kerrigan is mentally ill. He believes that he is an ambassador of God and his mission, his mission was killing young women. The prosecuting team then brought up their psychiatrist who proclaimed that he could be a paranoid schizophrenic, but that he did not lack control over his actions. This psychiatrist was convinced that Harvey knew what he was doing and it was wrong while he was doing it. Courtney, what do you think? Reading the transcripts from this trial is really fascinating. Um, Harvey really did try to sell the whole God told me to act, um, mostly just sort of by repeating the same phrases about it kind of over and over in response to different questions. It seemed honestly kind of rehearsed to me. Um, and if Harvey was actively psychotic, then his succinct and careful answers were remarkably organized for someone with schizophrenia. Um, you know, he very clearly only answered questions directly as they were asked and did not give any sort of elaboration. Um, and, you know, as we discussed in part two, and as you just referenced above, you know, he did study psychology in college um, while he was in prison, particularly things like sexual sadists, which is what he was. Um, you know, personality disorders that he had, you know, and murderers. And so that would have included things like case studies of maybe real people who maybe did have schizophrenia. Um, so he potentially could know what to say and what to do to mimic it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it wouldn't be hard for him to sort of create an explanation like that to try and get out of it. And, you know, if we look at the religious side of it, right? Claiming God told me to do these things. Even when someone who believes in God believes they hear God, it would be 
still up to them whether or not to follow those directions, mm-hmm. right? Even people who have schizophrenia, they don't always do the things that the, the voices tell them to do. They, most of them fight against it mm-hmm. um, or, you know, try to, you know, figure out before acting on it, like, okay, is this real or mm-hmm. not? Um, and they can sort of be tortured by it a little yeah. bit. So I truly believe that, you know, Harvey obviously did not have schizophrenia and was not insane. And he knew exactly what he was going to do. And that it was the wrong thing to do. The jury deliberated for five hours and found him guilty of attempted murder and aggravated sodomy. He was then sent to St. Peter's State Hospital for psychological testing, where he was found to have severe antisocial personality disorder, but was not found to be psychotic. Um, Kerrigan was sentenced to 30 years for Gwen's case and another 30 years for Jerry, uh, the 13-year-old who finally came forward um, for her case. He was then charged with murder um, of Catherine Schultz, and he pled guilty. He received 40 years, as Minnesota, Minnesota state law does not allow for a sentence to exceed 40 years if they plead guilty. He was then found guilty of first-degree murder of Eileen Hunley, and that got him life in prison. He is currently housed in the Minnesota Correctional Facility and is 97 years old. Okay, well, that is the end of, you know, our presentation. Um, Courtney, do you have something you want to say? Um, I think that the one thing that strikes me about this case is that in the 40 years that now Harvey has been imprisoned, um, he has at least come to present as remarkably normal. Mm-hmm. You know, in some later interviews with him um, about just what's life like, what do you believe in, what are your favorite things, you know, he talks like someone who's been in the world and is, mm-hmm. you know, just living his life. You know, his favorite things are theater and reading and listening to opera and musicals, and he likes to paint, and, you know, he has in his own way, really thrived within the prison system. So he's been in prison for about 40 years for these crimes. He was in prison for 20, 30 years for previous crimes. He was in a reform school for seven years. So he's 97 years old. So a huge amount of his time was spent in prisons or prison-like settings. Um, It makes sense that that's where it would be that he thrives because that's basically been, you know, where he learned how to do everything. Um, and it, it's, it's sad because in America we have like the highest rate of people in prisons of any other country. And the recidivism rate is extremely high as well because they do become institutionalized and I don't know how to fix it. Um, (laughs) it doesn't help that they're privatized and people make money off of prisoners, but again, I'm not getting into that. So, um, do you have anything to say about the institutionalization of American criminals? I mean, I think it goes back to um, kind of what you had said in kind of like a, almost a fun fact in, I think, episode one about the very first penitentiary, right? how it was meant to be a place of penance, mm-hmm. um, a place to learn and reform, mm-hmm. and that's just not it's what not, prison not has happening. become. Yeah. Okay, well, that was um, Harvey. 
and crazy case that I had never heard of. But, you know, if you believe those red circles, like I kind of do, um, are indicators of victims either snatched or buried, then he has killed a shit ton of people. Um, otherwise, he was convicted for four or five. So right. either I, way. I'm sure he has killed more than those yeah. five women he right. was. And if he hadn't been, if he had been out longer than he was, who knows how many numbers he would have racked up. Mm-hmm. He was an angry, angry person. So, um, Courtney is picking our next case. Do you want to give him a little hint? Yeah. So I'm really excited about this case. I think it's really interesting for one. Um, and it also, um, is something that we've been asked about a lot. So next week we are doing our very first female serial killer. We are doing a, ser- a female serial killer, and it's someone I've never heard of, so it's not Eileen, um, just so you know. We'll get to her eventually, but that's not who this is, so. It's exciting. Yes, I'm excited to share it with you. Yay! All right, everyone, be safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye! Bye!